Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. To not another mummy podcast with me, Alison Perry. Joining me today is Ruby Warrington, author of Women Without Kids. British-born Ruby lives in the States with her husband and cat, and gasp, no children. She has previously written about the sober curious movement, and I know Ruby from back in the day when we worked together on a teenage magazine together. Me interviewing pop stars and her dishing out fashion and beauty advice like how to get your lippy to last a mega snogging sesh with your boyf. Ruby, welcome to the podcast. Oh, Alison, thanks for that blast from the past. Did you just make that up or did you like do some research and actually find an actual headline from Sneak? I delved into the depths of my memory and thought, what was the kind of stuff that we were writing about in 2002? I bet it yeah, was that. It was exactly that kind of thing. Yep. So first question, what we all want to know is, how do you get your lippy to last a mega snogging sesh? <laughs> I have no idea. I actually don't think that's physically possible. So, do you remember um, we used to put that um, that lip coat stuff on? It was like almost like laminating oh, your yes, lips. I do. It was disgusting lip coat. And then there was that. There was a whole phase of lip glosses that had like I don't know chili peppers in them or something that like yes. made really stung and made your lips yes. puff up. <laughs> Honestly, the pain that we went through for beauty is just ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, they were fun times. They were fun times. But I promise you, that's not really what I want to ask you about. <laughs> um, but looking at the areas that you have delved into and written about in your books, like not drinking alcohol and not having kids, you strike me as someone like the kind of person who looks around at, you know, what everyone else is doing and you question it and you're like, hang on a minute, why are people doing that? And should I be doing that or something else? Yeah, I wouldn't say it's that calculated necessarily. I think that it's interesting, I suppose. I've always felt like a bit of an outsider or as if what works for me and the things that I want to pursue and the things that I'm interested in don't necessarily fit in with the kind of mainstream or general consensus. And that's been something I've felt since early childhood, really. I just haven't shared necessarily the same I didn't share the same interests as my friends. I didn't necessarily find the same games interesting. And I don't know whether this is, you know, nature or nurture, if I was born this way, or if that's the result of having quite unconventional parents who also, like, they separated when I was one year old and didn't live together. And so we were the only, I was the only kid in my street whose parents didn't live together. And my mum was quite into you know, organic food back in the 1980s and like alternative medicine. So that was kind of unusual. So I had some of that cooked into me, but I think it's part of my just basic personality as well. And I suppose, um, yeah, my work as an author has really been about acknowledging that sometimes the things, the choices that are right for us and the activities and the pursuits that feel like a fit do go against the grain. And actually walking that unconventional path can sometimes feel very lonely and very alienating. And it can lead to a lot of questioning yourself, um, can lead to a lot of self-doubt, even shame. You know, the feeling that maybe there's something wrong with me for not wanting what everybody ha else has or for not feeling comfortable in certain situations that everybody seems to enjoy. 
And so, yeah, I think that is the through line. And I'm glad that you immediately sort of picked up on the con- what I see as the connecting through line between these two books, Sober Curious and Women Without Kids. These are both about walking the kind of alternative path and feeling validated in that. And within that, helping to meet other people who are also, you know, walking that unconventional path and also potentially feeling like the odd one out or the weird one or whatever it might be. And that consistently is a through line of the feedback I get for my books is, thank you, I no longer feel like the only one, you know? Yeah, and also, like, the confidence it must take in you being the one to stand up and be like, actually, guys, I I don't want to do that thing that everyone else is doing. Like, do do you have that fear of what if I am the only one? I mean, you're not, clearly. <laughs> well, I think um, Sober Curious gave me a lot of confidence in this area. I felt much more so with that book that it was I was the only quote-unquote normal drinker who sometimes was questioning my drinking or who wasn't necessarily um, okay with the amount I was drinking, the way alcohol was kind of consumed, the way it was presented, or who was asking these questions, I suppose. Um And I also didn't identify as an alcoholic. So I sort of went to a few AA meetings and felt like an outsider there. And one of the reasons I was inspired to write the book is that when I finally started speaking to some people in my friend group about this kind of internal struggle I had around alcohol, around my drinking, so many people revealed to me, oh, yeah, me too, me too. Um, And that inspired me first and foremost to start hosting some kind of public facing events around this subject and you know the first event 80 people showed up by the time I led the last one three years later we had 250 people so that gave me a lot of confidence or helped me understand that actually particularly where a subject is taboo in any way people often would rather keep quiet would rather not speak up to fit in or to not be questioned um, but that actually there are lots of us who are who have questions about the conventional way of doing things, yeah. but who don't feel emboldened to kind of ask them out loud because it will make us stand out. And it can be, like I said, kind of alienating or we might get questions or pushback from other people. Um, so, yeah, I got a lot of confidence with Sober Curious in, in realizing, wow, there's so many other people who are asking these questions but haven't had the words or, or felt like they were allowed to even question it. Um, and so I... And it wasn't that I assumed the same would be the case with women without kids. But I think actually, you know, we we met in our, well, I was in my early 20s. I think you're a bit younger than me. Um, But that decade, my 20s and 30s, I really did feel like I was the only one who didn't plan on having children, didn't want to have children. Um, And that um, that feeling of being the only one just intensified as everybody in my peer group at the time kind of started having children and I conspicuously by that point wasn't following suit but as I reached my early 40s I realized that actually a lot of women in my peer group didn't have children for lots of different reasons and that actually I had not only that I was no longer the only one but actually that I had possibly never been the only one you know, and that potentially these other women without kids or even just women who were questioning whether they wanted to have children or not had possibly been there all along. We just hadn't really had a reason to, a way to find each other or a safe place, I suppose, to have the kind of conversations that we've been having very internally with ourselves as a result of a lot of the external pressure that can come, you know, around this decision. Um, So yeah, it's been, and, and again, like it's been very gratifying among early readers of the book just to hear repeatedly thank you thank you I'm so happy to find my people to hear I'm not the only one your experience resonates so much with me um and that I think yeah it's it's one of the reasons I do what I do I suppose to help people feel less alone in these decisions yeah I mean and it really does seem to be this overwhelming I mean you talk about in your book about pronatalism and how it's deeply ingrained in societies across the globe not just you know western societies Mm. um you know women we are here to procreate that is our function so to push against that is like that's huge it is it it pushes against honestly centuries of conditioning centuries of religious conditioning and ideology centuries of cultural conditioning um centuries of kind of economic 
um, programming as well around like what it means to be a valuable contributing member of society, you know? So all of that is up for question when women start questioning, am I really, was I born to be a mother? Is that the only valid role for me? Pronatalism is um, an offshoot of patriarchy and it essentially is this ideology that says parents are more valid and more important than non-parents and within that also married people are more important and more valid than single people so I'm writing this as a married woman without kids and the even more quote-unquote deviant path is to be unmarried and not have children and so yes I mean, in the book, I'm speaking to anybody who identifies as a woman without kids, because regardless of whether it's a conscious choice or whether circumstances in your life mean that you haven't been able to have children for whatever reason, you will still be seen by strangers and by society at large, people who don't know the intimacies of your story, you will still be seen as an outlier, an other, a deviant. And that that's a really important point, you know, people not knowing the ins and outs of your story you know I remember I remember being asked when I had one baby I remember being asked really quickly afterwards oh when are you going to try for a second wow. and it just felt like why is this okay why is this kind of like acceptable chit chat it's not even being asked by your nearest and dearest it just seems like it's you know it's acceptable to ask any random person and you must feel that so much more and you must have been asked that that question so many times by so many people yes you're right exactly but I think that the the casualness with which people you know have feel emboldened or entitled to ask that question um, or to have an opinion about what your answer might be as well just shows again how ingrained the conditioning is that this is the norm and as you say not to have just one child but to have a large family you know is the kind of ideal um so yeah I think that the the way that people feel so just there's just so little awareness around how deeply private that decision is and of all of the incredibly valid factors that might be making you think well actually I I only want to have one child you know this is um yeah I definitely have had people read the book who've been in that very position you know reach out to me thank you I had one child and actually, this is this book has really helped me understand or feel more confident in expressing to people that I'm I'm not having any more children, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. because yeah, there's there's still this cultural ideal that it should be celebrated to have lots and lots of children. Which I mean, if you think that most sort of patriarchal religions have this tenet, be fruitful and multiply, it's sort of linked, I think, very directly to that. And then, of course. There's also the fact that people used to have much, much bigger families with the understanding that probably several of their children would die in childbirth, die in infancy. People were, life was more fragile in a way. Yeah. And so we needed more humans um, to kind of as backup <laughs> yeah. to the extent that even in, in Victorian times, siblings often used to be given the same names because it would be un, it would be expected that maybe one of them would die. That's mad. So, but but then if you if you map that against this idea that like having lots of children is a a good thing, it's understandable, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's just so fascinating. Um, (laughs) Let's talk about the the title of the first chapter of your book. (laughs) Yeah, Sisterhood of the Selfish Cunts. It's called that not just for shock factor, though, isn't it? Well, I if I wanted to use it for shock factor, I would have used it as the title of the book. I think, um, and a, a big part of me was drawn to using Selfish Cunt as the title of the book, um, partly because it's such a crowded, noisy marketplace that you sometimes do need to be a bit shocking to to get people's attention. Um, but I decided that actually I might get the wrong kind of attention if I called the book Selfish Cunt, but I still couldn't resist using it um, within the text. I the, That title did come through very strongly when I first considered writing on this subject, because reflecting on my own life by this point you know my mid-40s not feeling any regrets about not having had children and in fact just really overcome with gratitude for the fact that I had really got to you know I'd come of age as a woman at a time and in a society where I had I'd got to choose the life that was right for me and got to pursue the things that I was really interested in and almost immediately what a selfish cunt 
came through from I don't know where it came from you know (laughs) but just this idea I was sort of immediately just quite arrested by the fact that me as a woman getting to live a life that suits me and getting to make the choices that I want to for how to live my life makes me a selfish cunt and then of course the double meaning in that being that specifically having chosen what to do with my reproductive parts (laughs) um It was really shocking, actually. And I just thought, wow, how can it be in 2023 that that is still the case? That a woman choosing to live life on her own terms, specifically as it pertains to how she uses her body and her reproductive parts, makes me selfish. You know, it just seemed so... um, That is a view that's still so entrenched. People without children are often called selfish, you know? Um, I mean, you said people without children. People without children, Yes. But but actually men, not so much. Not so much. Not nearly so much. And I think, again, that just speaks to this idea that selflessness is so associated, is such a feminine ideal. And I think this is something that mothers feel, you know, this idea that if I am not selflessly devoting myself to my children, then I am a bad mother and there is something wrong with me. That in, it's present in that as well. And I've had many mums read the book and thank me for kind of unpacking the roots of that as well and like helping mm. them feel like it's okay to put my own needs first as even as a mother, you know, I'll be a better yeah. mother if I'm able to put my, meet my own needs, you know? Um, but yeah, this idea that it's to be selfless somehow makes you a better woman, um, a more natural woman, a more loving person is very, um, again, it's very deeply entrenched. And I actually feel like the the word selfish is almost, it almost needs as much of a, a re-examination as the C word. <laughs> it's almost yeah. as taboo in a way. Yeah. And then staying on that, the, on the kind of language thing, you know, you point out that, um, you know, the way that, that we talk about women who don't have kids is so loaded, so childless, is so sad, and you know you you feel kind of like you feel sorry for that for that for that. Something's mom. missing, yeah. Something's lacking, yeah. Child-free sounds selfish and deviant. Yes. What is the better alternative? How should we be talking about these women? I think these we women, a, we like I say, like women. a big, all in a big box. <laughs> Well, this actually, yes. Okay. I think we need a much more individualistic approach to the language that we use to describe our reproductive identity. So there was a paper that came out in 2020 from a psychology professor at Columbia University presenting this new concept, reproductive identity, um, which seeks to acknowledge that how any one individual, male or female or of any gender, decides to um, engage with their procreative potential Um, is unique and individual to them and that we need much more expansive and inclusive language to kind of speak to all of the different circumstances, all of the different life paths um, that can be kind of under the umbrella of reproductive identity. So for myself, I've been experimenting with the term a reproductive. I don't actually use this in the book, but the way that we have, we describe people as asexual, if they just have like no interest in that area and they just don't identify as sexual beings. For me, a reproductive feels true to my experience of just honestly never having had, never having experienced baby fever on any level whatsoever, never having had any desire to have a child. And it's funny, even saying that to you now, I feel so odd and I feel so, I can feel the shame of, God, there must be something wrong with me for not having wanted this, you know, incredibly important life affirming thing that is integral to the human experience. And yet it's my truth. I've never wanted that. I've never felt drawn to it. I've never felt a desire for it. So for me, I quite like the clinical nature of a reproductive. It just sounds very kind of straight. It's it's very unemotional. It doesn't have the emotional content of childless or child free. You know, I've never... As much as child-free is typically used to describe people who don't want to have children and have consciously made that choice, I've never necessarily... It's always felt a bit too carefree for me, a little bit too kind of... Not flippant, but... Um, like, woohoo! Yeah, I exactly. And I mean, honestly, when, I'm, when I really started in this book to dig down into what are my deepest reasons for not having had children, 
a lot of it has been rooted in just yeah a, a deep lack of inner security and stability like anxiety around caring for myself let alone being able to care for another human being you know um so yeah I, I, I child-free sounds a lot to me like carefree and something mm. I really touched on as I was writing the book and it's one of the reasons I'm an author and I, I, and I like to write about these really taboo subjects is that I kind of I kind of care a bit too much <laughs> in a way yeah. you know I really do I'm, I'm somebody who's very I'm very sensitive I really feel the weight of the world on a daily basis and writing is a way that I process that and kind of make sense of that and I think that I just don't think I'm tough enough to be a parent you know I think that uh, parenting yeah. requires a degree of just resilience and uh. just kind of a thick enough skin to just allow some of the daily stuff to just bounce off and I just I think I've always had an awareness that I'm just not built that way <laughs> yeah it's really refreshing to hear you say that actually Ruby because you know I'm guessing that you probably get a fair number of mums who do confide in you that you know I've got a baby or I've got kids but I just do wonder whether it, it was the right thing for me to do yeah. and if I had a pound for every time that I've thought maybe this was a mistake, not because I don't love my kids, obviously, got to put that disclaimer in, mm-hmm. um, but because it's just so hard. So and I'm, hard. I'm, not, I'm not convinced I am resilient enough. I just don't think I have. I think I'm getting through it by the skin of my teeth. Right. So it's actually really, really refreshing to hear you say that. Right. And it's interesting to hear you say that. I've always, You've always struck me as somebody who seems very resilient. Like even when we worked in magazines, you very quickly worked your way to the top of the ladder. You were managing teams and you're like age 22. And I'm just like, wow, look at her. She's really well boundaried. She knows what she wants. And like... <laughs> it's interesting isn't it the impression you give other people exactly Mm. because people might say to me like you did even starting this conversation wow you must be so so brave to like talk about these subjects in the in public etc etc and I suppose that's an area where I can be brave and I can be resilient because it's not a direct there's no direct contact with my readers and my Instagram followers or whatever I can kind of hide away in my little writer's cave and and sort of put some distance between those the particular stresses that come with being an author you know and speaking publicly on these kinds of things but um yeah I just think again massively acknowledged and it came home in a very real visceral way researching this book of just how hard it is to be a mother not least because and particularly even more so in the US than somewhere like the UK where I'm currently based and so a lot of my research was done in the US there's just so little support or genuine yeah. recognition of the level of support that parents actually need and not only need but deserve in order to be able to raise their children and for it not to have a negative impact on their mental, physical and emotional well-being. You know, in the US people, yeah. I mean, it's not no secret that well, let alone free healthcare, there's zero, zero legislation around giving parents any paid parental leave. It just yeah. is absolutely shock I don't know the thought <laughs> and maybe it's coming from the UK it feels even more shocking to be in that kind of an environment and it's funny actually speaking back to magazine world it was sort of in early to mid 30s my career really boomed in a way because so many people were leaving their positions to go off on their year-long maternity leaves and I would sort of because I wasn't going to be doing that I would be able to like slip in and kind of get my feet under the table at all these different magazines and made great contacts and really kind of made some moves in my career um as a result but yes I think coming to the US and just I, I still can't quite comprehend that that's genuinely true I mean I think that some employers will off their own back offer a degree of maternity leave but um it's not legislated and that's just when you then map that against, you know, like the overturning of Roe v. Wade um, in the US yeah. last year, the hypocrisy of it is just shocking to me. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yeah, it's terrifying, isn't it's it? It's terrifying. Um, and it's interesting you saying that about, you know, in your 30s, how you benefited from the fact that you weren't heading off on maternity leave um, at any point. Um, and in the book, you asked the big question, what if more women having more time, energy and other resources at our disposal means more women leaders in business, politics and the arts, which I think is such a good point. I've been thinking about this for a long time. And it, so to backtrack, the opening scene of the book is me playing my Wikipedia game, Does She Have Kids? And this is something that I have done, I guess, throughout my adult life. If I notice or I'm reading or I'm about a woman who's, you know, making moves and doing impressive things and creating great art, I instantly want to know, does she have kids? Because the idea of being able to have that kind of an impact in the world outside of the home, whilst also doing the very hardcore hands-on 24-7 labour of mothering, it's just unfathomable to me. And so I look for women who don't have kids as a sort of validation that like, actually, yes, that's it's really, really hard to do both those things. I find them very rarely, which is to say there are so many mums having the incredible impact in business, culture, politics, the arts. And a lot of those times, those mums have a huge amount of support and resource to assist them in the mothering part of their lives, you know. Um, and I think that really needs to be exposed to a greater degree, because I think this concept of being able to, to have it all and do it all, i.e. have a really impactful career where you can make a difference in the outside world and also have, a, you know, a, a healthy, happy, healthy is the wrong word, but um, a sort of seamless, nourishing family life as well. It's just a myth for the vast yeah. majority of women. It's a myth. And I think we're really starting to see that, see more attention brought to that. Um but yeah, you know, I, I posit that with more being a woman without kids does mean you've got more resource at your disposal to put into your other pursuits, whether they're creative pursuits, whether they're business ideas, whether they're political activist aspirations. And the less time, a part of, part of what I want to encourage women without kids, maybe even women who are sort of on the fence or undecided or it's getting, quote unquote, a bit too late and the time that you're spending worrying about should I do this shouldn't I do this what's wrong with me if I don't what will people say if I don't all of that soaks up so much headspace you know and if we could actually just accept this is where I'm at this is my life what can I how can I make the most of my time today this week this year you know um I think we'd see a lot more women having more influence in the public sphere which I think is a really exciting prospect yeah so it feels it does feel like this is all wrapped up in our fight for equality you know if we can somehow be in a situation where women are seen and treated as equals to men this is a huge part of it right it absolutely is yes I mean I've really been reflecting on this as well in just in conversations I've been having with people since the book came out. But so much of the feminist sort of movement has been focused on giving women the same rights as men, giving women the same freedoms as men and the same opportunities as men in order to bring out gender equality. But what happens is once a woman becomes a mother, all of that goes out of the window. So often, you know, it means a loss of the privileges that she has been afforded as a woman without kids. Because I sort of think that motherhood is almost the ultimate feminine gender role. There's no escaping your femininity once you become a mother. Um, yeah. And the extent to which motherhood is not supported, not recognized as real work, not remunerated in any kind of way, shape or form, um, shows the extent to which we still privilege masculinity whether masculinity is embodied by men you know natal men or natal women so that is a huge part of it and it was something quite surprising that came up in just the research and kind of really getting into this subject was that actually the question about whether or not to become a mother is a question about equality um, and who is afforded privilege who is afforded freedom autonomy 
opportunity, etc., in our society, and that is more masculine bodies, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm so aware of like mums being pitted against each other over decisions that we take. But what are the ways that you have felt a divide between mums and non-mums over the years? Yeah, so I call this the mummy binary. And there is very much this idea that, um, and it's, I mean, in some cases, it's kind of overtly stated, but often it's something that's very just felt, especially if you're a non-mother, that, you know, mothers are um, valid. They have done the right thing. They have done their duty. They are going to have full, find fulfillment. They will be happy. They will know real love. They will have someone to look after them when they're old. They're secure. <laughs> and non-mums <laughs> are kind of the opposite of all of those things, you know? Um, it, even if you could say that a privilege of non-motherhood is freedom, well, then that freedom is labelled selfish. And so it's tarnished, <laughs> you know? Mm. And so this mummy binary um, exists in a way to kind of under pronatalist ideology to really ensure that as many women as pe possible are opting for the motherhood route versus the non-motherhood route but it really struck me and again this is something that um, came out of my work with sober curious if you think about drinking we often think about well we have normal drinkers and then we have problem drinkers and problem drinkers are alcoholics and must be in rehab and never drink alcohol again and what I identified was that actually problem drinking exists on a massive spectrum and we can dip in and out of having problems with our drinking at different points in our lives depending on our circumstances etc cetera, etc cetera. there is a link here <laughs> that was a bit of a tangent but when thinking about this mummy binary this idea that there are natural fulfilled happy mothers and there are unnatural sad dysfunctional non-mothers seemed like a similarly kind of toxic divide in a way mm. when actually and I present in the first chapter a concept I've called the motherhood spectrum when actually any individual's desire and aptitude for motherhood will be influenced by so many different internal and external factors factors that might change throughout a person's life um, and that many of us if not most of us, um, especially given that women now have more options for what we want to do with our lives, it's natural that we'll be questioning whether we want to be mothers or not. And that it might take a, a quite a long time, a long period of questioning and weighing, you know, our circumstances, our opportunities, our talents, our difficulties and coming to a decision about whether or not to embark on the path of parenthood that feels like it fits us, yeah. which is a similar kind of process that I guide people through with Sober Curious around alcohol, you know? Is this something I want to engage in? If so, to what extent? Um, but of course, and it's funny because I've been, I keep finding myself saying, but of course it's so much more consequential when it comes to motherhood and not least because you're actually talking about bringing a whole other human being into the world this is not just a decision that's impacting you and potentially a partner but the whole other new human being <laughs> that is going to be the result of you making this decision right not something to be taken lightly and so I keep saying and so of course you know motherhood this motherhood spectrum is so much more consequential but actually even with alcohol and addiction this can be life or death you know and so allowing people um the freedom to really to really kind of um, not that it's just the freedom, but giving people the support to really get really real about what's working for me and what isn't and why and what choices yeah. can I make for my life based on that information. It's incredibly empowering and incredibly important um, in both these areas, actually. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned something there that we haven't even touched upon, but the whole it's not just you making this decision it's you usually you and a partner and you hear people you know relationships splitting up because one wants to have a family mm. and one one of them doesn't um and so you know do you feel incredibly lucky to have found a partner who shares the same views as you and I guess that's a whole other hurdle that that most women in your situation most people in your situation have to have to jump across isn't it yeah absolutely and again it's incredibly individualistic 
So I've been with my husband for 24 years. It's our 20th wedding anniversary this summer. <laughs> and he, from the, from the very beginning, has been very much on the same page as me. Like, and for similar reasons, just never really felt cut out, like never really felt like he had it in him to be a good dad, which in a way is quite sad because I've always thought he would, because he's my favorite person. <laughs> I've always thought, well, I, I actually, I used to think you'd be a really good dad, but the more, the more I've got to know him and the, the more we've been through together, I've noticed that like me, he has a really low tolerance for stress and can quite easily get overwhelmed with the kind of the stresses of life. And actually, I do think that would really make parenting very hard for him as well so yeah we've been fortunate um that we've been on the same page that said if he had desperately wanted to be a dad and really knew it was his vocation um and it had come from a family where it felt like it was something he wanted to replicate chances are I could have been persuaded because I do love him so deeply our life together just works on so many levels chances are I could have been persuaded. So as much as I, and somebody who describes myself as a reproductive, would be at the absolute affirmative no end of the motherhood spectrum, even me, under the right circumstances, could possibly yeah. have taken another path, you know? And I've yeah. definitely met, um, I've met a woman jo called Jodie Day. So her work focuses specifically on people who've had fertility issues and not been able to have the children they want. So she does a lot of, lot of work around the grieving process of that she never wanted to be a mum but then met her second husband um and he really did want to be a father and came from this very warm nurturing loving family and she realized that this was actually something she'd really love to do with him and then had to go through the pain of not being able to have a child because of fertility issues so what I'm pointing out is that it's very individualistic and where you orient on the motherhood spectrum can easily change at different points in your life and that that's quite normal it doesn't mean that you're undecided or flaky or easily swayed it just means that we are very much products of our environment and products of the relationships that we're in and products of the circumstances that we find ourselves in and it's very normal that we would alter and shift and the other thing to say about this is that it's been a very long time since I've met someone who has said that their relationship broke down because they wanted to have a child and their partner didn't. Now I'm talking about heterosexual relationships here. What I have heard, not only increasingly, but across the board over the past year or two, is that relationships are ending because he wants to have a child and she doesn't which again, I think is incredibly telling about a growing awareness about how hard it is to be a mother and how despite so many advances in the feminist movement, so much when, when children come into the picture, the gender equality piece just goes out the window. How no matter how hands-on of a dad and how conscious of a man you happen to be with, when the buck stops, when, when it, the buck will stop with you being the most hands-on parent, you having to make the most sacrifices. Well, we saw that during the pandemic. Exactly. And I think maybe that's one of the things that's feeding into this phenomenon that I've noticed of um, men being really excited about, come on, let's have a kid, it'll be great. And women saying, actually, I'm not convinced <laughs> that this is going to be great, as great for me as it is for you. And I, and yeah, I just think that's a really interesting um, phenomenon. I've got a friend who... Um, she separated from her husband actually after they had, you know, a, an IVF situation that didn't work out. He had wanted it more than her. She sort of got to a point where she was like, I don't want to continue with this. And that led to them breaking up. And so she in her early 40s has been on the dating apps and noticing that a lot of the guys that she's wanting to meet are saying, ready for a family, want to do this. And she's just like, damn, <laughs> yeah. having to, having to, having to date 26 year olds which I think has been kind of <laughs> there's been some fun times <laughs> but um but in terms of finding a life partner um yeah this is a huge can be a huge sticking point yeah um now you've mentioned the reaction that you've had you know the the feedback you've had from from women who have listened to what you're saying and read read your words um you've also had some negative reactions too haven't you which is kind of to be expected. 
but that must be quite hard for you as someone who isn't necessarily on the front line you like to keep a bit of a distance you know (laughs) that must be quite tricky to navigate yeah well it's interesting there have only been a couple and I think it's partly because on social media we're very much speaking to our people you know um and that's where the where the pushback is happening like I haven't had any negative reviews or kind of media around the book which has been really great um but yeah just some comments on social media and so I think first and foremost yeah I'm speaking to my people I'm speaking to people who have opted in to talk talking about being women without kids but I've had a couple of comments one was about um you're deluded I really hope you can reach a place where you can overcome your issues and change your mind because this is what you're here to do that sort of thing um and then just this week um the thing that I've been the most not afraid of but the thing I've been waiting for and I mean part of me it's funny this as much as I am introverted quite shy sensitive this writing this book has ignited my inner activist in a way because I got so angry about some of the deeper underlying issues that are making it really hard for people who do want to have children to confidently make that choice um but the comment that came in was like this book is poison um don't you know that population decline is the greatest threat to our civilization <laughs> and actually but and actually it's been interesting to me that in the past i might have gone like oh people hate me oh my god maybe i am bringing about the end of the human race oh no you're right I'm such a terrible person <laughs> i've actually been really fired up to respond to these comments in a very um clear cut way presenting the alternative argument because i have done so much research on this subject Um, And I also know how incredibly shameful and toxic it is to blame society's issues on people making choices that are often very difficult, very fraught and very conflicted choices and that are deeply personal to them. And it just, yeah, it's been in a way, it's been interesting to notice this kind of like fire in my belly being lit by those kind of comments, actually. Um, and I feel quite passionate about being very vocal about the fact that population decline is not a problem. <laughs> and that, um, you know, if we have aging, the, 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 the argument is that uh, we have these aging societies that aren't going to be enough young people to pay into the system to support our older communities. Um, and blaming women without kids for this is just so short-sighted so limited so regressive um it's made me feel really passionate about presenting an alternative view which is like yes our societies are becoming more mature how do we grow the hell up and start getting real about how we meet the needs of all members of our society from cradle to grave at the moment, society, there's a quote in the book from a futurist called Jerome Lanier, and he says, currently our economy only works if you are young, healthy and childless, which cuts out, um, well, infants, actually, young and young and of working age, but infants who are, you know, not receiving the adequate care they need because their mothers are not receiving the care that they need. Anybody who is sick, disabled or otherwise unable to contribute to the to the economy and then anyone who's aged out of working their working years are just sort of like left out of the equation and this is just a huge I frame it in the book as a lapsed societal duty of care which is yeah it's a huge issue and it's not going anywhere and we need to as I said just kind of grow up and actually rather than saying oh come on women you need to start having more children so we can keep having plenty of taxpayers paying into the system well I'm sorry but this system isn't working for the elderly, the sick, um, and for mothers as it is. We need to remake the system, which, you know, is a huge lofty thing to say, but I think a lot of people are on that page, actually. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, <laughs> now, what advice do you have, Ruby, for someone someone listening who really feels torn about whether motherhood is right for them? I mean, you sounds like you've been clear since childhood that this is not a path that you want to walk down. But so many people you know so many women do agonize over it like 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 we've said Mm. what advice do you have for them well even though I was always I was always quite sure that there were certain things I wanted for myself motherhood wasn't one of them it was less that I was sure that I didn't want to be a mother there were just other things I wanted 
and like I said, during my 20s and 30s, I really did question that. And I really, I tried really, really hard to make myself want to be a mum. And there were a couple of times when I almost convinced my husband as well as myself that we should just go for it because like everybody says you're never ready and like you'll just love it once you start. And again, pronatalism, <laughs> implanting, yeah. those, implanting those ideas. But um, so yeah, first and foremost, going back to what I said, I think it's very normal to question whether this is right. And I think my first piece of advice would be to talk about it, talk about it with your friends, talk about it with your mum friends, find out how is it really for them. Talk about it with your non-mum friends, talk about it with your mother. How was it really for her? Talk about it with your therapist. But the more we can kind of vocally process what we're going through, the more clarity we can get. Writing is also really good. Journaling on this subject might be a really good way just to get clear on our feelings about it. Um, and I think, you know, I talk about, I talk about this concept of, well, people who, people who are on the fence or saying that they don't want to have children will often hear, you will regret it. You might think you don't want children, but you will regret it at some point. You are missing out. You will be missing out. Um, I'd frame this as a sort of ultimate existential FOMO. This really is the like, am I really never going to experience real love <laughs> when I am, you know, old and needy? Will I, will I regret not having, you know, created some other humans who are sort of my people no matter what? And I suppose um, the way I've been thinking about this most recently is the fact is none of us can, none of us have a crystal ball. None of us can know how the future is going to unfold, you know, um, as you touched on. It might be that you find yourself regretting having had children, especially if there were lots of other things that you also want to do with your life, you know. And so the way I've been framing it recently is like rather than thinking, how am I going to feel in 10 years about this? Am I making the wrong decision? Stay a bit more focused on the decisions that you're making today that are going to impact your life this week, this month, this year. Focus on making decisions for yourself now that feel like they are the absolute 100% right thing for you to do when it comes to living a fulfilling life, when it comes to being happy, when it comes to finding contentment, when it comes to finding love. Like if you're worried that you're not going to experience deep, intimate love with other human beings, think about, well, who are the people that I have a hint of that with now? Whether it's friends, other family members, nieces and nephews, how can I spend more time amplifying that in my life and appreciating that in my life right now so that I'm not so I'm less worried that I'm going to be missing on, out on that in the future you know and of course of course the biological clock plays such a role in this the idea that you know we have this limited time window as women and I do think this adds very much so to the pressure that women feel that men don't necessarily feel around this subject yeah. um of course there are now there is the, the whole egg freezing conversation an option I mean I did find out recently and I, I'm sure statistics on this will change as more people opt into it but only six percent of people who freeze their eggs actually end up using them which I thought That's was quite telling mm. as to how how much of that is about creating a safety net that perhaps you don't necessarily need you know and yeah. again I think that because there's so much taboo about being a woman without kids sometimes what you're questioning is like can I live with that taboo can I live with this outsider identity even if that's what I truly genuinely desire for myself and yeah. can I be comfortable with not fitting in yeah. and so these and are really also, interesting it's probably areas interesting to just about. to have just, just to have that that safety net of in conversation saying to somebody who might be judging you, oh no, but I've got I've got some eggs frozen, right? So exactly. that judgment immediately dissipates a little bit. Oh, that's yes. okay. You're a bit more acceptable in my eyes. Exactly. You are doing the right thing. You do want the right things, you know. Um, yeah. So yeah, I also, I mean, I think the book in invites a lot of this questioning throughout. There are sort of questions for self reflection, sort of peppered throughout all of the different chapters. And I do have really been encouraging. I think this is a great book club book just because it brings up so much and it kind of 
one one reviewer recently said that she read the book to the sound of many pennies dropping. And I think when you can have those aha moments, if you've got someone you can kind of then share about that with, it can bring real clarity to what you're thinking and feeling and something that things that might have been subconsciously kind of pushing you one way or another, um, bringing them into light and talking about them can be really illuminating. So, yeah, read the book with friends again, with your mum friends. See what comes up with your non-mum friends. See if you're if you're on the fence for the same kinds of reasons or different reasons um yeah and 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 again there's this is not a decision to be entered into lightly the more you're questioning it the better actually because I do genuinely think that the more children who are brought here out of a a really genuine very considered and well-researched place um the better you know the more conscious we can get about who we're bringing onto the planet at this point in time the better yeah, absolutely. Um, Ruby, a huge thank you to you for joining me today. Before you go, let us know where we can find you to hear more wisdom from you. Um, well, I have been quite active on social media. I can feel it taking its toll on my, <laughs> on my energy levels and my, my mental health a bit. So I might be withdrawing a little bit soon, but I'm currently quite active at Ruby Warrington on Instagram. There's the book, of course. And I did, um, I recorded a limited edition podcast series of all of the research interviews I did for the book, which is available. Just it's called women without kids. It's wherever you get podcasts. So I go more in depth on some of the subjects there with the different people I I interviewed for the book. So those are good places to find me for now. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Ruby. It's been so great to chat to you. Thanks for having me. It's been really nice to see you again. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.